Hey, everybody. Welcome to Around the Farm, the podcast about all things ag. I'm your host, Clint Schaffer, and today we're going to be speaking with Brad Coleman, the Director of Weather Strategy of the Climate Corporation. Last time we caught up with Brad, it was planting season, and here we are right smack dab in the middle of harvest. So we're going to get an update on what the weather has in store for us over the next few months across the Midwest. Stay tuned. Hey, thanks for coming back for another episode, Brad. How about uh, you give the listeners and watchers uh, another introduction? Sure. Well, thanks for having me back, Clint. It's great to be here. Sure. Uh, atmospheric scientist at Climate, been here a little over six years. I'm currently the director of weather strategy and just love working in that space, weather and egg. What could be better? You know, I probably say it every time I talk to you, but just having the title of of uh Atmospheric scientist just is is probably the coolest title that uh, that that that's out there, right? Lab coat and all, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what. Last time we talked was I believe we were right uh, right at planting season back at April, uh, and since then there's just been a lot of weather activity, and this has been from you know, a fairly severe drought uh, through the through the northern tier of the of the states uh, to a lot of, you know, really extreme weather events, too. Um, what, what have what have you really seen, you know, for this year as far as for, uh, you know, just how that's how that's kind of taken course? Yeah, a lot has happened since we talked last spring. Certainly when we, we had that conversation, there was already drought established from, you know, the Dakotas into Minnesota, Montana, down into a little bit farther south as well. And we were worried. Uh, it, all the indications were continued westerly flow. So once you kind of get that drought going, we were worried that it could persist in those areas. And in fact, as we know now, it did. Uh, in fact, it really continued, expanded a little bit farther east than, than we expected. And so we really ran quite a bit of deficit going through into August. And we know we had significant impacts on the crops up in that area. We did get some return to moisture. In fact, sort of eastern Dakotas into Minnesota, we actually had a wetter than average sort of in August into September across a few areas. <clears throat> but along with the return of moisture came a lot of severe weather activity. We had a lot more thunderstorms, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But all in all, yeah, it was a pretty active summer, persistent. And whenever we have these persistent patterns, you tend to get the extreme behaviors. You know, when, when looking at the, at the, you know, drought conditions up north, how long does it take, you know, to, to kind of recover from, from that bad of a drought? You know, I mean, is, I would assume that takes a while. It does. Uh, you know, right now, if we look at the deficits, say, since the first of the year, Across the western regions there, we're talking about, you know, several inches, well, probably five inches below normal. And by the time you get farther east into Iowa, Illinois, some of those deficits are approaching 10 or more inches of, of rainfall compared to normal. And we're going into a drier time of the year. Typically, the falls are a bit drier where the average monthly rainfalls may be just a few inches. So if you're trying to make up 10 inches, and, you know, that you're behind and you're only getting, on average, a few inches a month. It's just really hard. You're in a pretty big hole. Well, I know we don't want to, you know, talk about snow too much, you know, because, you know, we, we don't have any, have any of that, uh, you know, around us right now. But, I mean, when you're in a drought condition like that, are you really hoping for maybe a large snowfall or a large amount of snow going into the wintertime? 
every, every bit helps, right? Whether it be rain or, or snow, probably the most important thing, and, and this, as we get into the fall season, we go from these really intense thunderstorms where you can get a lot of rain, but it comes down so heavily, it all runs off. What's nice about the fall and the winter, and as you establish a snowpack, once that gets into the ground, you know, onto the ground, it, it gets to percolate down and, and penetrate deeper into the soil column. So yeah, we would just like a lot of nice fall storms if we could, but you know, right now the pattern is is not all that favorable for a, a wetter than normal fall. You know, there, there's other areas, whether we start looking further east and south, that uh, are really fighting some of the exact opposite, you know, uh, uh, with uh, with a little bit uh, wetter and, and a lot of different rainfall, especially I think in some of the hurricane areas. Um, you know, what what are some of those patterns that we're seeing that are affecting those areas? Yeah, it really, that overall pattern, sort of the dry in the northern tier of states and wet in the southeast, again, it persisted. And here in the U.S., in, the, in that central U.S., we sort of have these cycles get established. And you bring a lot of Gulf moisture up, you get it into the ground. That's a favorable environment for more thunderstorms. So you have nice, healthy thunderstorms, and they put more water back onto the ground. And it's a sort of this virtuous cycle of continued wet. Farther north, you know, in the Dakotas, Minnesota, where we started out dry, what's happening there is all that sun's energy is going into warmer temperatures. It's, it's drying out the soils more, so there's less moisture going back into the atmosphere, so you get fewer storms, so it gets hotter. So that's why, you know, it's one of the, you know, one of the hottest summers uh, across the northern tier of states we've seen in quite a while. And drier in the southeast, just the opposite, you know, just wet. And like you said, with Ida, especially with Hurricane Ida coming up through that southeast, we have record soil moisture contents across that whole area up through Ohio River Valley into New England. We know you talk about just some of the record temps, uh, you know, today where, where I'm sitting anyway, as we're recording this, uh, we're talking about having, a you know, nearly 90 degrees or maybe even a little over and uh, breaking some records. Is this a trend that you're going to, you know, that, that we could expect to continue to see is, is having some of these record breaking, you know, higher temperatures or is this just a, a pattern that we're in? Yeah, a little bit of all of it. How's that? Uh, you know, certainly the pattern, and then like I said, it's dry, so we've been on the warm side. Uh, as we go into the fall, all the models, all the climate indices suggest it's going to be a warmer than normal fall, a little bit drier than normal across much of that region. Of course, we're entering a time where things are cooling off, so your hot temperatures will go away, but it looks like it should be a fairly, in, in many ways, a favorable fall as far as harvest and getting all that done. It looks there's really no indication of, of any good outbreaks of cold air. The cold air right now is pooled up way up over Alaska and is expected to stay up there. So we're going to stay westerly flow and, and pretty mild and on, a little bit on the dry side. Okay. Well, you know, you mentioned it before too, Brad, about uh, just some of the the extreme weather that we've had. And it seems like, you know, between wind events and and really some widespread hail events, um, what what's really driven some of this extreme weather that uh, that we're that, you know that we've seen throughout the growing season? Yeah, a great question. Uh, we have, especially in the latter half of the season, seen a, a fairly widespread area that has had that have had quite a few hailstorms, windstorms, especially some of the strong downburst windstorms, which then obviously we get the, the lodging and, and the hail damage. I, I think it really, to me, it links back to this overall hot and dry pattern. Uh, 
surprisingly, what happens when you have a really hot environment like that's dry, your temperatures are higher, you have the middle atmosphere actually relative to the ground then is cooler. And if that middle atmosphere is cool and you actually have a little bit lower average relative humidities, what you end up getting are more intense thunderstorms. It drives stronger updrafts where, you know, the updrafts within those thunderstorms can reach, you know, 80 to 100 miles per hour going straight up. And, and that kind of that drier, hotter environment, if you can get that thunderstorm going, it tends to be more likely to be in that severe area where you can produce, produce that hail. If it were a wetter environment, the storms themselves are wet, but they're not quite as intense. So I think it really is all tied together where we had this really hot, uh, persistent dry pattern, just enough moisture to get these storms going in this latter half of the summer. And they tend to be a little bit more on the severe side. Yeah, I know both this year and last year. I mean, it seems like uh, at least our farm, you know, I mean, we got hit with, uh, with several, you know, multiple uh, windstorms, you know, and uh, uh, it's just, uh, it's tough to, tough to watch that, uh, watch that come through, but uh, it just seems like we're getting more and more of that kind of activity. Yeah. Again, very consistent with that sort of overall drier than normal pattern. You get that moisture from the thunderstorm and it <clears throat> falls into those layers of higher winds aloft and it evaporates. So it cools that air and it dries it down to the surface. And that's why you get those downbursts or microbursts that come through very spotty, but very intense. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what we're seeing out in the field, Brad. Is is really some some streaks, right? Of of where that wind has uh, has really come down. You know, you talked about that eighty to hundred mile an hour upwind. I would assume that's what it takes to get golf ball size hail or baseball size hail, because that's that's a big chunk of ice to hold up in the atmosphere, right? Yeah, that's what you're doing. These hailstones, you get those big ones. They really do this up and down through these storms, and yeah, you you need you know, probably in excess of 100 miles per hour to carry that baseball. I know we had several reports across the Dakotas, eastern South Dakota, baseball size or larger hail. And yeah, that's 100 miles per hour plus going straight up because you have to hold that hailstone and carry it up through the column. And they, that's how they get bigger and bigger until they finally fall out. Now, you talked about, you know, having, um, you know, a fairly decent fall, right, uh, coming up uh, in front of us. Do you see very much difference between, uh, you know, the upper Midwest, lower Midwest, working down into the south? You know, what kind of what patterns can people uh, expect to see across their regions? Probably looking ahead through the fall into early winter, the thing we're keeping our eye on is that right now it's looking pretty likely, probably greater than 70% or more, according to the Climate Prediction Center, NOAA's Climate Prediction Center, is a La Nina will be back this winter. And what that will likely favor is expanding dryness down through Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, into, into Texas. And in fact, all indications are that we'll see expanding drought down there. So, Brad, I know uh, farmers like my dad are always uh, not only, you know, thinking about the, the here and now, but uh, what can we expect, you know, maybe further down the line? And, and as we start planning for, for really the 22 season, uh, we really start looking out, you know, what's, what's next year planning season look like or, or what can we expect? Uh, wh- what are you seeing for, for the 22 season coming up? Certainly, and as I already discussed, it's, it's unlikely that those places are in sort of the severe to exceptional drought are going to fully recover. We do expect some, a bit 
higher chance, maybe above normal chance of getting some moisture in Montana during the winter season across Minnesota is probably the most likely area we can get some recovery. But overall, that drought pattern across the, the northern tier of states will likely persist into next year. And then with La Nina, we should exceed that, see the drought conditions expand farther south uh, toward Texas. Uh, overall, the, the winter is probably going across the southern tier of states is going to be a little bit mild, a little bit dry. Across the northern tier of states, about normal precip or at least equal chances of above or no, below normal precipitation. So that's a pattern we should see going into next next spring and into the summer. So yeah, uh, a little more drought, unfortunately, probably starting the season next year and an overall mild south and sort of a 50-50 coin toss north. Okay. Now, you know, I know we, we talked last time about uh, uh, the, you know, El Nino and La Nina seasons. Does that help, you know, like knowing that, that we're probably going to have a La Nina again, does that help? really forecast or or try to, to to help us understand what to expect in that upcoming year? I mean, does that make it easier to predict knowing that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, right now, you know, as we've talked, seasonal forecasting uh, is still at its infancy. So we're looking for opportunities that we can improve that skill. And what we do know is that that behavior in the tropical Pacific Ocean, whether it's El Nino or La Nina, that that gives us, that shows a bit of the atmosphere's hand, right? We get to see what's going on. And what's nice about it is we are getting better at it, uh, at forecasting the state of the ENSO, as we call it, El Nino Southern Oscillation. And going into this this winter, we're pretty confident it's going to be La Nina. And what we can do is it maybe, you know, some people would consider it cheating. What we do is we go back and we look at all of those years when we had La Ninas. And well, what was the weather that happened in those you know, those La Ninas. And it's not a, it's not a carbon copy. You know, there's, there's a lot of variability between La Nina years, but what we do see is, is common behaviors that occur frequently enough that we can say, yeah, more likely than not, it is going to be dry and warm across the Southern tier of states. More likely than not, it's going to be kind of a weather, active weather pattern across the Northern tier of states. There, there are going to be variations on that. And sometimes the atmosphere throws that curveball and it, it doesn't look anything like a La Nina. But when you're at this stage in ability, as far as our other tools that we use, you know, long range forecasters are, are, are really happy to see one of those states because it does increase our confidence about what that weather is going to be. But, you know, speaking of tools, right? I mean, that's the the tools that the the, the professionals like yourself use. Uh, what are some of the tools that, uh, the, that a farmer could end up using to, to maybe help understand what weather uh, to, to look forward to? It's a good question. One thing that this time of year when the, the season's wrapping up, we're starting to get our crop harvested, maybe stepping back once you do have everything harvested and looking back at the past season, a tool I think is really very, very helpful that we offer in our desktop, the Climate Field View desktop app, is you can go in there and you can look at, you know, annual integrations of rainfall for every location. The source of that is a, a grid that's about a 250-acre resolution. And so we can, you know, down to that scale, we've, we've put a lot of effort into providing that information so you can look at all of your fields and you can really look at how did this past season work to get to where we are today. We also provide 
observed high and low temperatures. So you can get a good sense, I think. Weather is, is so local. Uh, and, 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 you know, the farmers and all of our listeners really know that. But just like politics, it's local. We can talk about these general areas and we can talk about, you know, the drought and we can talk about drought recovery across the Dakotas and Minnesota. I can assure you that not everyone experienced that drought recovery, right? There are still pockets that are dry and we, we can't get into that detail, but you can, you know, in our desktop app by looking at all of your fields. And maybe for those of you with hundreds of fields, you may not really even know which field, you know, captured the most moisture and stuff. So it's a good reference tool. Other than that, you know, looking ahead, I, I pay attention to lock, you know, the, the NOAA, I think, is always an excellent source. There's a lot of really excellent online information. Uh, more and more through apps, you can get a lot of different insights into the shorter term forecasts. But I'd look for that uh, sort of NOAA for the long, you know, long seasonal projections and Fortunately, they don't change every day, so you can get a good sense and uh, and see what's coming up. I've seen a lot of of discussions around the uh, the percentage or the chance of rain, and I've heard it two different ways. I, I've always thought it was if I have a thirty percent chance, it's a thirty percent chance that I'm going to have it. Uh, what I've also been told is it's a thirty percent or thirty percent of the forecasted area is going to get rain. How, what's the, what's the right way to look at, uh, to think about these chances of precipitation? Sure. Yeah. Long going debate and discussion, right? <laughs> the, the correct way to look at it is those are probabilities for single points. So if you hear there's a 30% chance or a 50% chance of rainfall, it's for a specific point and it's over a 12 hour period. And the amount says nothing about how much is going to fall. It just says at least one one hundredth of an inch. So that's the exact and, and correct definition. Of course, we all know that if it's a 100% chance of rainfall at a point, the chances are fairly good that it's probably close to 100% all around that area. So there's this nice, you know, sort of relationship between them, between a point and an area. So, and also between a probability and an amount. Uh, you know, if the amounts are really, the chances are low, typically are on the, the drier amounts of precip. The, the caveat in that one, of course, is where you can say, well, you have thunderstorms, so there might be only a 10% chance of, of rainfall because they're going to be isolated thunderstorms. But where you have one, you could have, you know, one or two or three inches of rain, right? So it gets really complicated. And, and that's why there is so much confusion about it out there. But the correct answer, getting back to your original question, Single point probability of getting one one hundredth in a twelve hour period. All right. Well, that that ju that just settled it. I, like I said, uh, I've seen this ongoing, and I've seen it uh, both ways. So thank you for uh, for clearing that up for us. So, well, hey, Brad, I got one more question. I like uh, like a you know, just your your fun thought on this. What is your favorite things about just the fall and harvest season that we're in? Well, up front, I have to admit, I, I'm a weather, winter weather enthusiast. So we're headed towards my favorite time of the year. So I'm always excited this time of year. I was, unlike probably the majority of the listeners, I was happy to get past the, the fall equinox last week on the 22nd. So days are getting shorter, temperature cooling down. So overall, I'm excited. Uh, you know, two things. Fall colors, spectacular, right? And we're seeing a lot of fall color activity here. And boy, it's just great to see all the yellows and golds and reds showing up. 
But probably the most favorite and, and the, the one thing that really punctuates fall for me is that, you know, all summer long, you drive by those pumpkin patches and all you see is green. Or if you go out on your own pumpkin patch and, you, you know, you, it's even hard to find them sometimes, right? Because they're so overgrown. And all of a sudden, following that, that hard freeze and all the vegetation collapses and overnight you get this this amazing view that, that every kid and every adult who has any kid left him and wants to go out and pick a pumpkin, right? So that, that's probably what excites me the most is a pumpkin patch. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is great. I, and I couldn't agree more, Brad. That is, uh, that is a, a great sight. I got a couple of friends of mine that, uh, that, that grow pumpkins and uh, they've sent me some of those pictures, right? And uh, it is just spectacular to see that. So... Well, hey, I do want to say, Brad, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down with us here again and uh, and give us an outlook on on what to expect with the with the weather patterns, and uh, and I'm sure uh, you know. Hopefully, we'll be uh, we'll be talking again uh, next April as well. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Great talking with you, Clint. Hey, a special thanks to Brad for joining us today and sharing his expertise on the weather. And also, thank you, the listeners. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, please hit the like button, subscribe, and ring the bell to get notified each and every time that we push out new episodes. And for all you farmers out there, we hope that you have a safe and happy harvest. We'll see you around the farm.